Feeling legally protected is the best feeling when you are a business owner, right? But it's also really complicated sometimes. And I don't know about you guys, but nobody in my family is an attorney or a lawyer. And so, you know, figuring out where to start with contracts and scaling all the way to seven figures, right? There were a lot of really uh, nuanced things that I had to kind of learn on my own. And fortunately, I do have a legal team right now, but I know that's not where everybody is. So with that being said, I'm bringing on Taylor Tiemann, who is an attorney and she specializes in online businesses. And so she's absolutely phenomenal. We're gonna dive into what needs to go into your contracts, how to handle failed payments and disputes, right? And then scaling all the way up and protecting your intellectual property, what that means, trademarking, all of those big topics. And we're making it really, really simple. So don't worry, sit back, listen, this is one you won't want to miss out on. Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHaze. I'm obsessed with all things business and fitness. I left my career as a TV reporter, followed my dreams, and created a seven-figure online coaching business in just two years. Now I'm sharing my proven strategies with you. Oh, and we'll keep it real, discussing mindset, money, and hardship to help you build the life of your dreams. Grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. Welcome to the Taylor DeHaze podcast. I'm so glad you're here. All right, guys, I am so excited for this podcast. I think I say that every time. I should probably stop saying that because I should just stop being so excited. But I'm here with Taylor Tiemann, who is a wonderful attorney, owns her own practice. And if you guys have, you know, gone through like Fitness Coach Academy with Fitness Coach Academy with me, you've seen her uh, templates that we use in there. But She's just really been um, super integral in making sure my clients are up to date on their contracts and all things legal. And, and I wanted to finally put it in a podcast because we don't have one yet. So, um, Taylor, I would love for you to just kind of like introduce yourself and also just give us a blanket statement on why online coaches need to give more shits about legal things. Oh my gosh, I could say lots of things about that. Um, but hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me be uh, the one to talk about legal. Um, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I'm a business attorney. We do trademark, we do contracts, we do entity formation for small businesses. Um, and a lot, like 75% are online-based. So online-based businesses really need to have their stuff together because it is so much easier for people to duck out and just ghost and disappear, especially when you have an online based business, because you're just not seeing people probably as often as you would with like an in-person or regular type of setup. So I think it becomes a lot easier for people to just like back out slowly of things. I think it's really important to still get all that stuff in writing, make sure you're protected because um, there's a lot of really shady people out there and we don't want to encounter them and have to deal with them. But we will, but we will have to deal with them. And that's why we're talking today. But I do want to ask you this. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a million attorneys out there. And I, I don't think that many people or a big percentage of them are well-versed in like the online space because I do think it is different, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's extremely different. Um, I think even the ways... Like, I mean, I see it in my own practice of how we deal with clients. Like, I don't see clients in person ever. And the ways that you run an online business, especially service-based, you're dealing with people in such a different way that you almost are talking a different language, like Zoom, like Stripe, all these processors. 
your your business is running fundamentally very differently from your you know old school type brick and mortar business that I think if your attorney doesn't really know that stuff, it's going to take them some time to catch up with it, or they might not even be really that into it. Like they might just not trust it or might not want to mess with it. So there's a good number of attorneys that are online based that really understand the same things that online based business owners are going through. It's you in case anyone was like confused on that. Um, But you know, I even think about like when I do my taxes, like I've been using the same person for taxes for a while and I can just tell as my business is scaling, I've recently um, found kind of like a CFO who specializes in working with fitness coaches online. And you know, just because it was, it was too convoluted almost for him. And it just gets very, um, it's hard when you have clients all over the world as an online Mm -hmm. business owner, you know, I mean, you get that because contracts, of course. So Um, just to let you guys know, as you're listening to this podcast, um, there's going to be something for everyone. Okay. Something for the beginner coach, something for the seven figure coach and kind of everywhere in between. And I, I wanted to kind of take you guys on a journey a little bit with just like what to think about as you are scaling your business, because I think it's so, I think one of the biggest pitfalls I see with online coaches is truly their backend. Like they are not legally protected at all. Their contracts suck. I mean, anytime somebody comes to me, that's the first thing I look at and I'm like, Oh man, we need, we need to get someone involved here. I mean, would you, would you say that contracts are probably one of the biggest, I don't know, like sticking points, I think for coaches and and online businesses? Yeah. That's usually where we see most of the issues or disputes are with no, well, no contract or a contract that doesn't do what you think it's doing. Uh, Because there's legal foundational protections to put in place, but what you'll probably hit snags with first is like a a client relationship or a bad, you know, something went wrong with a contract or you needed to have a contract or now you're coming to an an attorney and we're like, where's the contract? And you just don't have one. So that's usually where we're really trying to piece things together. And then we unfortunately have to say like, sorry, I wish you had a contract, but there's like not much we can do. But yeah, contracts are key. And I think, you know, people refrain from creating them or refining them because they just don't know. Um, Or they think nothing bad will happen to them. Like it won't happen to me. So let's start with contracts, right? Um, I think a lot of coaches, just people in general, will just find a clause in the internet, copy and paste it, throw it into their contract. Let's talk about that and and why there are different uh, variants for states and countries and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, contracts are very, for the most part, they are state-based. So the laws that govern or dictate how your contract works are usually state-based. So if you're grabbing stuff from somebody in another state, it might not also apply in your state and it might not even be protecting you. You also, if you're grabbing random stuff online and if you can't even read it and if you can't spit it back to me and tell me exactly what it says, you probably are using something that like shouldn't even be in your contract. And I think there's a lot of stuff online that yes, it's, it could work, but ultimately you either have to know exactly what it means, or you have to have an attorney tell you what it means to have it protect you. Like I really try to compare legal protections with like insurance. Like we're all not sitting there drafting our own insurance policies. Like we're getting help from somebody because I don't know what the heck that stuff means, but we need it and it protects us. 
So there are, I mean, I have had some people get really lucky and find like a template online that looks somewhat similar, but that rarely ever happens. I'm usually seeing stuff in contracts that people bring to me that I'm like, this is totally not even in your industry. This should not be in here. And when I ask them what it means, they have no idea. So why are you using something that you have no idea what it means and you're hoping it protects you. That's like building your own house, like having no idea how to actually build a house. Right. Like let's just put some wood up and hope it, hope the best. Right. And, and guys, we will be um, linking some templates from Taylor on the show notes. So, you know, you can definitely steal those if you need them. Um, And I really think that your, your contracts are extremely affordable and they're super straightforward. I mean, guys don't, don't sleep on it is my point. Um, let's kind of talk about a few clauses that I think are really important and necessary and also like verbiage that I think is needed and mistakes that you see. Right. And I think number one, first and foremost, like the cancellation and refund, let's talk about that, making sure that coaches are getting paid and what to do when a payment fails. Yeah. The payment is where most of the disputes come through uh, because that's obviously what's important. We're running a business to make some money. Um, I think a lot of people think about how, okay, what are, what am I getting paid and what is that number? And so as long as I have that in the contract, I'm good to go. But there are a million other different scenarios that could pop up that if we don't address them in the contract, then we can't enforce them later. So if we, and it kind of like, I always compare this to acting like a Debbie Downer and sitting with what are worst case scenarios with clients, because if it happens in real life, we're going to know and we're going to put it in the contract. But if it hasn't happened yet, we have to really start like planning out and assuming, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Somebody could duck out halfway through Um, Somebody could say, like, I'm no longer going to continue to pay. Somebody can, you know, be on a monthly payment plan and like just their card's going to fail. This happens all of the time. So really addressing things that can or may happen. And if you're not getting paid, what can you then do? And if it's in your agreement and if your contract is a valid contract, then we can start enforcing it after. But we have to first make sure that it's actually in the contract. And that's so important too, because I mean, I, I can't, I can't reiterate this enough where I will see people that do have some kind of like, you know, policy in their contract, but just based on the verbiage and other pieces of the contract, like it's just not enforceable. You can tell that somebody just wrote it. And again, you would be like, uh, uh-uh, right. But somebody that signed the contract probably has no different, uh, or they, they can't tell the difference. Um, yeah. Now, I do want to talk about the like late fees and the late fee policies and contracts, because I know that does uh, differ state to state. And, um, well, we just happened to get off of another call <laughs> for, for my mastermind. But, you know, you were mentioning, for example, like this new law in California. Can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, the we have to be really... Yeah, we have to be really careful with, especially a lot of us collect credit card payments. So even that in and of itself, the the consumer-based laws to protect people who are using credit cards, we have to be aware of those as business owners. So ba- just basically, like if you're accepting credit card payments, you have to have consent to do so. And I know that seems really obvious, like you're signing up a client and they know that they're paying you. 
But if they're paying you on like a monthly recurring basis, you have to have that consent to continue charging them. Like that could be in the agreement. You can lay out every month that you're going to be charging them, but you have to be specific because technically if that person claims that they don't know that they were getting charged a certain amount of times, they might not have to continue paying. So we have to have a kind of higher standard of care when we're using credit card payments just because there's so much fraud on the other side where people report stuff that there's now these laws that protect people that use credit cards. On top of that, with subscription-based payments, California has become probably the most protective state of consumers. And if we have subscription-based payments now here, we have to make sure that the person paying on the subscription is able to cancel their own subscription. So your platforms have to have the ability for that person to cancel their own subscription. The reason why the laws are in place are because like, I can, I guess I can call them predatory, uh, like an Amazon or like another big box type business. They have people signing up to subscriptions unknowingly all the time. And as a smaller than Amazon business, we're not trying to trick people, but sometimes we might be doing stuff where we're not giving the proper amount of information or notice. So we have to have an awareness around how we're accepting money. Um, not to say like ditch credit cards altogether because it's so much easier as an online based business, but we just kind of have to be aware of the rules and how consumers and people that will purchase from you do have protections. And we just have to make sure we're not, we're not purposely doing things. I know as business owners, we're never doing something intentionally, but we might just not know that we are omitting information that we actually have to provide. Well, and what sucks is our ignorance won't protect us later, you know? Um, And so that to me is an interesting one because, you know, that makes me think, okay, our contracts need to be really tight because if you have a three month contract and then a month to month ongoing after that, which is what most of my fitness coaches have at the beginning of, of working with me, based on what you're saying, that indefinite, like forever and ever, amen, like they can cancel any time without you knowing. And that's scary because it's money you're counting on, right? So um, I'll be interested to kind of see how that works with my clients in California. But um, so when exactly, so let's say somebody, failed payment happens, right? And I want to know when is it time to get an attorney involved? What can we do on our own to try and collect that payment? And again, we are talking about probably something that is between three and $600 a month, um, which in my opinion, I probably would not go to court for that. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I think people get really scared and, and they don't know when to be aggressive in like an email or threaten legal action. So I would love to know your take on that. Yeah, most business owners, I think, will default to a, I don't want to piss this person off, but you have to realize that they're not paying you like purposefully. So, which is rude and it's unprofessional. So the mindset shift of like, all right, this is my business. This is how I make a living. I have to really be able to enforce this stuff. So feeling comfortable with it. And I think part of feeling comfortable with it is really actually understanding what's in your contract. Because if you don't even know what's in there, you're not going to feel comfortable being like, oh, well, per the agreement, I think it says this. Like, You have to really feel comfortable with it. It's not one of those things, unless you have the funds to pay an attorney to just hand all of this off to. As a business owner, you kind of just got to get in there and feel comfortable with what's actually in the agreement. 
So, you know, involving an attorney really depends on your level of, you know, can we afford that immediately? Do we want to be, you know, super aggressive with it? I think if we have the tools in place to follow up and then follow up aggressively internally, if we want to, fantastic. But there does come a point where you have to decide, like, am I going to pursue this? Do I want to actually take the time and energy out of my day to pursue this? Figuring out what amount of money that is for you. And then if it's an amount where you would like to pursue something, like get an attorney, have them tell you at least what your rights are. Um, But understanding what the contract says and being able to push back on the client is really important because if you tell, I find that a lot of things get resolved once you start bringing in the contract language, saying like, you did sign this, you do owe this, you know, what are you going to do about it? You're going to have to pay or else we're going to go talk to an attorney. A lot of stuff surprisingly gets resolved once you start using the tools that you actually have in place. And once you start just kind of even like, threatening legal action people are like oh shit right um because like you said i think one reason people are not able to collect payments is because they have a really hard time because at this point they probably have a relationship with this client they probably don't want to piss people off but like you said there is a difference between business and personal and you have to keep those separate um because trust me i mean i've had some of my best clients long-term clients you know, this might happen. And and again, not all the time. Those are like, that's like a rare circumstance. But again, you can't like do people favors for certain things. Um, And, you know, I always suggest if you're in the beginning of your business or, you know, you're making like under, like you're making under 10K months, you know, you're probably not ready to hire an attorney or anything, but having some kind of an email sequence to send out to people, um, you know, where it's like, you know, email one is kind of nice. First three emails are nice. The third email kind of reminds them about, hey, just, you know, let reminding you of the contract you signed, make sure you attach the contract um, and then refer to the clauses or whatever. And then emails four through six are a little more pushy. And that's when I would probably threaten legal action. Um, but, you know, I think it's just all about you making sure that you are staying on top of it. And if you do have a team member, I would uh, train them on that and have them take that over. But like you said, it all comes down to making sure your contracts stand up. Um, I really do like that that workflow too, because it sets you up perfectly for what you need. If you do have to take legal action, you are going to need all that documentation you are, it really sucks to have to go back and dig through everything. And if, especially if it's not clear, imagine if it's not clear for you, it's really not going to be clear for an attorney that's looking at it. And they're going to spend a lot of time and your money going through all of that stuff. It's just good practice to have all of that stuff documented and ready to use if you need to. So I like that workflow. It makes me feel so good because you didn't necessarily give me that. So I'm happy that that's been created and it's, it's approved. It's Taylor approved. Hell yeah. Um, But, you know, like speaking of the workflow, I just think creating like standard operating procedures for every part of your business. Right. And like I really do value having somebody look over my contracts. I really do value um, like I write my own, um, but I do have somebody like look over them always. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a small price to pay, guys. That's a small investment. Like that's not a spend. That is an investment. And that's going to pay because if you're going to have I mean, I don't even know how many people have signed like my FCA contract, for example. Right. And if all hundreds of those people like were signing a contract that wouldn't have stood up like, oh my God, right? Because that is a program that is, you know, $3,400 and people have tried to bail on payment plans and making sure that we have that 
um, has been really, really helpful. So I love that. Anything else you wanted to add on contracts where we kind of go on to the next? Um, Anything you see? I, I get a lot of questions on how to like, uh, practically speaking, just put them in, in place. So um, some people ask like, well, if I have a contract and the other person has a contract, like whose do we use? There is only one contract. So if you want to use yours, that's better because usually we've gone through it. It caters to you. Um, if somebody else hands you a contract, that's a situation where we might want to look at it, see what's in it, make sure there's nothing in there that's going to screw you over. But there's only one contract that gets put in place. Both parties sign it, typically electronically, sometimes in person. Uh, but the logistics around how they work sometimes um, can get a little funky if you haven't really used them before. But once you start using them, it's it's easy peasy. Perfect. And again, Hello, templates, LinkedIn show notes, steal them, steal them, take them. Interrupting the podcast for just a second to ask you one question. How amazing would it be to hit six figures? I want to tell you about Six Figure Fitness Coach. That's my highly transformative, high-touch mastermind designed for fitness coaches craving bigger impact and income. If you're ready to make money while you sleep and have a total 360 degree upgrade in your business, and I'm talking big launches, new offers, hiring a dream team, and poppin' champagne, Six Figure Fitness Coach is for you. I help you create and implement a growth strategy that is customized to your business and aligned with who you are as a coach. It's pretty obvious you're a good fitness coach, but if you wanna build your empire, it's time to start acting like a damn CEO and apply for Six Figure Fitness Coach. I've helped 18 people hit their first six-figure year. It's your turn. Apply for Six Figure Fitness Coach and book a free six-figure strategy call with me in the show notes. Now back to the podcast. All right. I want to talk about different, um, almost like milestones, like legal milestones as you scale your business, right? Because I know coaches that are making even seven figures and like they don't have an attorney and that honestly baffles me and terrifies me simultaneously. So um, one thing that I, I coach with my clients once they get to that, you know, 10K, 20K mark is really honing in on your your intellectual property. And what I mean by that, guys, is, you know, there is a workflow that you have. There is a method that you use. You may not be able to articulate it, but when you start to create a course or a second offer, that's when I go into this IP. What you know, if you were to sell your business tomorrow, or if you were to hire a, a support coach or something, what would you teach them in order to get your clients the same results without you being there? And that's some serious stuff, right? Because your IP is 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 yours. Again, it's your intellectual property. So I think that that gets challenging. Uh, for me in my head to kind of protect because it's like your ideas, right? Like that's a different kind of playing field. So talk to you about that process. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that you're bringing it up because a lot of business owners don't really, they're underestimating the amount of IP that they're working with. And that IP is, is an asset. It's an absolute business asset. It has a value. Uh, to, we can have like experts come in and value your IP, but you have to think about it. Like if you own a house, if you have a bank account, if you own anything, you can also own your intellectual property. And if you ever want to sell your business or if you ever want to license things out, that is exactly how we harness that. So really uh, understanding that at a, like a base level, you don't always have to know exactly what everything is, but um, you know, things that you're creating, content, like guides, anything you're creating for clients, videos, 
uniquely created uh, tangible assets typically can be protected under copyright law. They are default automatically considered like copyrighted material, but to really register and protect, we go to the copyright office. Those things are registered and can be valued later. Um, if you have a business name or like the branding around your course or your offerings, those things we're typically looking at trademark. So a lot of us are putting a lot of time and money to build our brand and the way that we harness that like notoriety and how people appreciate our brand itself is to register and protect the branding and the names around what everything that we're doing. Um, so trademark and copyright are our most common things that we're encountering as business owners. The other two types of IP are patents and uh, trade secrets. Uh, trade secrets are like the inner workings of your business, things that maybe not might be protectable under other areas of uh, intellectual property law, patents like inventions, but those are our core four main types of IP, but we're usually dealing with like trademark and copyright for business owners. So difference between between like uh, registered trademark, trademark, right? Because I see both all the time. Can you just break down what the differences are? Yeah. Anytime you're using a, a name or a logo or a slogan attached to your business, that's a trademark. So we call it a trademark still because it is one. That is how your clients or customers recognize that you are the person selling this thing. Um, that's how people recognize that like McDonald's sells fast food, that like Home Depot sells hardware. That's your brand, but it's also a trademark. If you do not do anything to protect it. It still exists as a trademark. You still have some very limited rights, but the minute we want to go take it to a federal level or a state level to protect it so that we are hopefully the only person that can use that name or that branding in our state or at the federal level in, in the United States, that's where we really have like a official registered certificate where we can use that and tell people like, hey, don't use my name. Or we can even use that for licensing purposes if people want to work with us or collaborate with us. It's really an asset. Awesome. And then, you know, I'm in the process of this right now, actually, um, getting some things trademarked, which has been really fun and also really uh, time consuming. <laughs> so I would love to know, right? Like, so what is what is the process? Because, you know, coaches that are listening to this that are designing courses or you have a course, you know, I've, I've got a few clients that have had courses that, you know, they've done years of, of work with. Right. And at some point they need, they need to, to trademark that. So what is the process? How do you get started with that? Yeah. The process is if it's an online course, we're usually looking at federal level, um, state level, we're limited to like, if you had like a hair salon or like a small bakery in your state, and you're only selling to people in your state. Once we're at the e-commerce, like online sales level, typically we're looking at federal protections. So we start with the uh, trademark office, USPTO, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, and we apply to protect the name. So usually we do a, a search ahead of time to make sure that hopefully the name that we've been using is not actually owned by someone else or is not so close to somebody else's trademark that we might not be able to protect it. So usually we search that ahead of time. Then we actually apply to protect it. The trademark office does take quite some time. As of today's date, they're taking six to seven months to 
even assign your application to an attorney with the trademark office. Um, then they'll let you know if um, what they think of your application. They do a review, they do an analysis, um, they do a legal review. It's not just like a for, you know, we're looking at your name and, and everything else. They're actually legally reviewing everything on the trademark register to make sure that the name that you want to protect does not infringe on somebody else's previously registered mark. So they're reviewing that for you. If they approve you, they'll push you through. But from start to finish right now, I have some clients that have been waiting for like 10 months for registration. Um, but that does not affect the timing of your application date filing. So the trademark office is first come first serve. They don't care if uh, you've been using a name longer than somebody else that filed two months in advance of you. They will just process as they process. So that's the advantage of filing earlier to kind of reserve a name that you have been wanting to protect for some time. If we are in a situation where like, you know that you've been using something longer that's on the register, then it's up to us to try and figure that out outside of the trademark office. Um, but it kind of kind of plays out like that timeline-wise. It's a very long process. I used to say it's like getting pregnant, but it's now longer than getting pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, and I mean, I don't know when I started the process. I think probably like October maybe, um, but that wasn't when I filed. That was just like me literally starting the process. So my goal is that sometime in 2022, I will have Fitness Coach Academy like yeah. solid. Um, but, you know, just little things like that to think about because it is a long process. And um, as as are most things, as we're scaling a business, right? Um, and I think my whole point of even having you on for this podcast is, again, to remind people to be proactive, not reactive mm -hmm. with legal. You have to be. Um, okay, cool. So when do you think somebody is ready to really hire somebody on like a retainer and how do you find somebody? Because I'm telling you, there are not many online business attorneys that like, no, you know what I mean? It's really hard to find somebody. Um, so I would love to know your take on that. Yeah. Um, I think at the point, I think if you have it in the budget to at least when you're starting meet with an attorney for like an hour and get their thoughts on your business model, what you're doing, and just have those like morsels in your head as you're moving throughout your six month, eight month year growth. Um, and then figuring out like, okay, am I hitting a point where I have a lot of contracts that are coming through and I either don't want to read them and negotiate them, or I don't even feel comfortable with it. That's a good time to bring on an attorney. Um, if you have the funds to just have somebody else handle all of that legal paperwork for you, I think that's another good time. Like, I think I hit one year of business and wanted to like really just die doing accounting. So I had, I hired somebody to do my accounting for me. And at the time it was like a stretch for what my monthly payments were, but like looking back, I'm so glad that I did that because it allowed me a lot more time and less stress to be able to do the stuff that I wanted to do. So it's a, if it's a precautionary, which it should be a precautionary type spend with an attorney, it's, it's like any other payment we're making as a, as a business owner, like, will this save me time? And will this save me energy to do the stuff that I'm actually good at and grow how I need to grow so that you're not even thinking about like, 
that's just another cost. My attorney is not like an absurd cost at this point because I've been able to to put my energy where I need to. And what is like on average, like what, what are we expecting to spend per month? If the can kind of go like all over the place, but I can give you pricing for like projects, like project-based type things. Like most attorneys will charge like in the upper hundreds, like eight, nine, a grand to 1500 for like one contract to custom draft for you, um, negotiating or like hourly work. A lot of attorneys, if they do flat fees though, will base off of what we can charge per hour. So most attorneys can charge anywhere between like three, four, five hundred an hour, unless you're working with like big law firm, they can charge a lot per hour. Um, we usually base that on the project. So like a contract is probably going to take us a couple hours to do for you. Trademark packages range all over the place, but a lot of attorneys will be starting in like the 1500 up to like 35, 4,500 for one trademark. Um, so if that seems like crazy, you know, you can always have, that's why working with the attorney early to get a consult in, have them tell you what they think is best to act on in the coming months, in the year. Cause I know like it would be great if everybody could get legal protections in place, but the budgets just aren't always there. I know that I'm a business owner. So having an attorney tell you like what's important now, what you can maybe wait on a little bit, or even like you might think you need a trademark, but you might not even be able to get one. So if the attorney told you that early, you could be saving a ton of money trying to like chase after that when you might not even be able to get one and you didn't even have to worry about it. Right. And just like you said, it's just, it's being precautionary and, you know, something that I did very early on that really helped me was, was having something again, like a legal shield, which if you're in the U S it's a work for you. Um, you're not going to be partnered up with just like one attorney. It's going to be with like whoever's in your state, but I will say they, they do, look at your contracts. They don't rewrite them for you, but they will give you suggestions on contracts. They will send a, uh, like cease and desist for you. They will kind of help you with those things. Um, and there's like a limit per month essentially, but that's less than $200 a month, which mm -hmm. again, if you're starting out to me is like a peace of mind payment, yeah. um, until you're ready to kind of work with somebody more one-on-one, -on -one, which I think is necessary when you grow, of course. Um, because, you know, Legal Shield has been great, but it's, it's one of those things where if you have a problem or a question, I mean, it might be two to three days before they get back to you. Whereas like an attorney, you know, it, most problems that you're encountering, you're like, I don't, I can't wait 72 hours. Like I need to know what to do, like kind of right now. Yeah. Um, and again, that's why you pay more money for that. So um, just be smart about it, you know, be smart about it as you scale. So I want to talk about a few things that kind of come up. Um, one being like podcasts, right? A lot of coaches are doing podcasts. And a lot of coaches have guests that come on, right? So um, can we talk about kind of like copyright permissions and uh, I don't know, kind of what needs to happen, uh, what people should be thinking about as they're promoting and, and all of that? Yeah. Uh, podcasts are a really cool, I don't want to say thing, but they are a thing. They're an area <laughs> to expand on because they really kind of draw on all of the same things as a business does. And I like to look at podcasts like a little mini business in itself because you still do have those trademark considerations. Like what are we naming the podcast? How are we branding the podcast? We definitely still have the contract considerations. If we have guests on, like if we have guests, 
that the technicalities of how the copyright works with the guests are very intricate but for the most part if two people are talking like how we're talking now technically both people own some of that part of the the recording or the episode so to avoid somebody coming back three months six months down the line and saying like hey actually i don't want you to release that we do have some we do have to have our guests sign a release because our guests also have similar rights in their name, their likeness, their uh, sound of their voice, like how we're actually just talking. So the best way to do that, same thing, like if anybody has ever been on like a TV show recording or something like that, where they're like shooting an episode of something, they have you sign releases because they don't want to have to come back later and re-ask for your permission. So similar type of thing. You want to just seal it up and release the episodes down the line and not have any issues later. I do have some clients set up podcasts too that are planning on using that content later for like documentaries or things like that. So we really want to make sure that whatever content we're creating in that recording, like we don't have to worry about asking for permission again later. That's usually where our contracts um, fall into place with guests. But if we hit the point where we have um, brand sponsorships or like advertising, that's another legal financial relationship that we want to get in writing of what are we we're giving a 15, 30 second, one minute ad for how much money. Um, copyright, talked about. Um, and then, yeah, guests, ads. I think I covered the main four. But so yeah, it's just making sure we have like a release, like you said. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, fortunately nobody has ever come back to me and been like, Hey, just kidding. Take that down. Thank God. But you know, that's definitely something, um, to make sure you have, and again, it all comes back to like these contracts, right? Like we just need to have more documentation, um, which I think we, I, I, I think it's a combination of not knowing and just also kind of being lazy, like, eh, nothing will happen, you know? Um, but the more work you do up front, the better it is long-term. Um, this is a random question, but just came to me. And, and I think it was brought up um, by another kind of like legal professional I was talking to. But, you know, a lot of a lot of us listening are we have team members and VAs and OBMs and things like that and uh, social media people like in our DMs. Right. And, you know, even though like like I don't technically hire. Right. Like they well, I mean, I hire them, but they're not like a paid employee is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So. I'm signing their contracts, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like pretty common for most coaches listening to this. Do you think that the coach needs to send out something like an NDA for that person at all? Or do you think that it's not needed? And I only say that because these people are dealing with like yeah. bank accounts, my personal message, you know what I mean? Things like that. Yeah. Usually if a contract has been drafted and it, anticipates like the scope of that relationship so like an assistant that might be dealing with some private privileged info there should be a clause or provision in there discussing confidentiality um so if you're signing something on behalf of a service provider that's hopping into your business and helping check to see if they have a confidentiality provision if they don't then yes um, nda or confidentiality um, actual agreement would be good to have them sign because they are dealing with sensitive info, um, especially if you're dealing with like health wellness type things, like you might be sharing things with clients or they might be sharing things with you on like a dashboard somewhere that they don't want accessible by a ton of other people. Right. 
Right. Perfect. Um, and then the last thing, honestly, just are there any other mistakes or or tips that you can give any of us coaches as we're scaling our businesses? Um, I think definitely getting the contracts in place and really honing in on like the policies that you want to be able to enforce. So I think we talked about this earlier, like look out into your year of what you're planning and like make it very clear that, you know, if somebody gets sick or wants to take a vacay, like, you know, I'm not going to be available for a certain amount of time. Um, Definitely being really specific with like how people can access you. So this could come like as you go, but I even am always changing up like how I I sometimes have to find myself being even more specific than my contracts already are because somebody will find a way to contact me somewhere that I'm like, that's not within the scope of the relationship. Um, So you can always work on um, changing. Like I'm always changing my contracts. We're always tweaking people's um, contracts as they're growing their business. You're never going to stick with one forever because your business will grow and the laws will change. But, you know, be comfortable with that and also be comfortable with enforcing things. Um, Just a good lesson as a as a business owner. Yeah, perfect. Um, okay, so you've got a lot of stuff going on, right? So I'm definitely going to link, like we kind of talked about, your contracts and your Instagrams. So everybody can find you um, on the uh, on the gram. But what else? How can we work with you? Yeah, my firm operates in California. So any like state specific, like an actual drafting a contract or entity formation. I can only help the California people, unfortunately, but I do have great referrals. So even if you're not really sure if it's a California issue, feel free to reach out. Um, on a on a nationwide basis, I can deal with trademark, copyright, some like website stuff, but how the firm generally operates is we have a la carte offerings and then we have um, a membership offering where kind of similar to the Legal Shield thingy that you were talking about. Um, it's a membership where you have access to email me, message me, depending on the tier, there's some projects included. So if I have a like a newer business that needs a whole bunch of stuff, usually hopping into the membership is good because there's discounts and like full just access to me all of the time. But we do do a la carte uh, type projects too. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for chatting and hanging out. And hopefully you guys learned that uh, I think everyone listening probably can update their contracts. I think it's like fair to say that. Yes. Perfect. Absolutely. All right, Taylor, we'll see you uh, on the gram then. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to give you a virtual high five for finishing another episode of the Taylor DeHaze podcast. Love the episode? Share it and tag me on Instagram. Have a question? My DMs are always open. Until next time. Bye, y'all.